Welcome to the Supernatural Cast, a podcast dedicated to rewatching Supernatural from the CW. Welcome back to the Supernatural Cast. It is December. Welcome to December, everyone. It is currently December the 3rd. It is the afternoon, and I'm recording another episode of the Supernatural Cast, which means it's only been one week since the last episode has been released, which means I'm on schedule for the moment. <laughs> All right. We are back to talk about episode number seven, Hookman, which was one of the good ones, I think, early on. Took us back to those urban legend episodes, which I like, like we had the Bloody Mary episode not too long ago. I definitely think these are kind of fun ones and aren't quite as involved as, say, some of the other later mythology that, you know, goes on over seasons even. So definitely like the little urban legends. We'll talk more about that in our folklore mythology section later on. And obviously during the episode recap here coming up soon. As far as this episode goes, I didn't really notice anyone as far as like an awesome guest star. Um, the young lady who played Lori did a great job. The guy playing the Hookman did good. The um, Reverend came across as a pretty good Reverend for a television show. As far as that kind of stuff goes, but no one is actually you know on my radar as far as something I'm familiar with. And then I don't know. This is just as an aside note, not really related to Supernatural necessarily, but yeah, you know, just kind of talk about random stuff here sometimes at the beginning of the show. I did finally get a chance to catch the movie Dylan Dog, uh, and maybe you're familiar with that, maybe you're not. It's based on an Italian comic book. It stars Brandon Roth, who was Superman in the latest Superman film back a few years ago in Superman Returns. And it also has, as his partner slash sidekick, the actor who played Jimmy Olsen. I believe his name is Sam Huntington. And I think that's the reason why I like this movie as much as I did. I was looking on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of people don't care for it, I guess. But I am a Superman fan, and I was a fan of Brandon Routh's performance of Superman, and I think he did a good job here as Dylan Dog. It really reminded me a lot of, say, Buffy or Angel, as far as special effects or even makeup. Like, the vampires in the movie did sort of look like the vampires on Buffy, um, and almost even made me wonder if some of the same people might have worked on this. I don't know that they did. But um, anyway, it is a story about Dylan Dog, who's played by Brandon Routh, and he is a basically a retired supernatural investigator in New Orleans. And at one point, he had been kind of a regulator of the undead to some degree, where if they had a problem, he would be the one who would help fix it. Or if there was one rogue werewolf or one rogue vampire or zombie or something, he could you know deal with it as an outsider, um, which is just kind of an interesting idea. And at this point, he had been retired, and he'd come back into the, the business because of a case or whatever. But honestly thought it was pretty funny. It, it actually is kind of a comedy. It's several things, really, and I just I don't want to talk too much about it since it's not exactly Supernatural related, but it is kind of a film noir monster movie that is also a comedy. So I, I, I liked it. And granted, it probably isn't the best film, probably doesn't have the best special effects, probably had a really low budget, but I enjoyed it. And it honestly <laughs> reminded me of something like Grimm on NBC that I've checked out like the first episode, and I, I wasn't too impressed. Um, I think something like this would be a better variation of the same type of idea where all these monsters are out there and they're real, kind of like on Supernatural. Uh, I guess we'll move on from Dylan Dog, but it is on Netflix Instant Watch. If you have that, I would say, you know, you don't have anything better to watch. Check it out. You might like it. If you're a Superman and a Buffy fan, I think you'd probably like it. 
and maybe since you're a Supernatural fan too. So anyway, all right. Well, next up, we do have a brief little message from our friends over at Media Junkyard, and they are in a partnership with a media company that is giving away copies of Cowboys and Aliens. And so this little commercial, I guess, if you will, is going to explain how you could win a copy of the new release. So check it out. Please pardon this podcast interruption, but I have a special announcement and a contest opportunity for you, the fine listeners of this program. Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford star in Cowboys and Aliens, the action-packed sci-fi western from the director of Iron Man. Now available on DVD and extended edition Blu-ray combo pack. The stranger, with no memory of his past, leads an unlikely posse of cowboys, outlaws, and Apache warriors against a common enemy from beyond this world. In the film, critics call wickedly original, unlike anything you've ever seen. Take home the DVD and extended edition Blu-ray combo pack today, only from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. Rated PG-13, extended edition not rated. This film is now in stores, but we're giving you the chance for it to be in your hand. Uh, it's easy to enter this Twitter contest for your chance to win a free copy of this film. Uh, free 99, boys and girls. All you have to do is send out a tweet mentioning your favorite famous cowboys or aliens using the hashtag MyFavoriteCowboysAndAliens, spelled out A-N-D. For example, you could say, a classic, but still the best, E.T. is my favorite Cowboys and Aliens, A-N-D. Once again, all you have to do is send out a tweet mentioning your favorite famous cowboy or aliens, and use the hashtag, my favorite Cowboys and Aliens, for your chance to win a free copy of this film. We're going to move on into our recap of Hookman, and then we're going to jump into all the other things that we do on the show after that. Supernatural Recap. All right, well, we open up the show previously on, as pretty much always, and the show really begins at the Theta Sorority House in Eastern Iowa University. And basically, Lori's trying to get ready for a date. She looks very conservative, and we find out a little bit later on why. Her roommate gives her a little more provocative outfit to wear, and she goes out on a date with a guy named Rich. They go out into the middle of nowhere, apparently, and he parks them near a bridge on Nine Mile Road. And soon the um, hookman appears. He, at first, is far away. He scratches some signs, one of which says dead end, which is kind of funny. And when it says Nine Mile Road, he scratches the car, punctures some tires. He disappears, reappears. Rich, just like in every horror movie, makes the fatal mistake of going out to investigate the noises. And um, soon he is gone as well. And then Lori is left in the car all alone. She hears scratching on the roof, just like the old urban legend. She gets out to run away and finds Rich is hung upside down above the car, and he is dead. And now we see Sam and Dean. Uh, well, actually, we see Sam, I guess, more. So he's talking on the phone, trying to get some information about their dad. He really doesn't have any luck with the FBI or anyone else, for that matter. And Dean has found a newspaper article online about this death of this guy, Rich, who's about 100 miles away from where they are. Dean thinks they should check it out. He even says Dad would check it out. And the thing that really got his attention was the fact that the assailant was invisible. And so they make a mention of Invisible Man, and they decide to go on and investigate. So they pose as frat boys this go-round. They help a very avid football fan paint himself purple, and they find out more about Rich and Lori. And um, thanks to this little information they get, they go to a church service at Lori's dad's church because she's a reverend's daughter, which would explain her conservative attitudes about things. 
And as soon as, she, as soon as Sam and Dean walk in, she kind of eyes Sam, which is a little strange considering her date died just probably a couple days before. But maybe it wasn't very serious. Who knows? Afterwards, Dean has some interesting conversation with the Reverend, saying it was an inspiring sermon, and even says that he and, and Sam are new in town and looking for a church group, which definitely would not be Sam or Dean's typical <laughs> thing they would be looking for. Lori and Sam have a conversation, and Sam basically said Lori Eyes says that she's telling the truth. And so they, they basically start talking about the Hookman urban legend. You know, if this is real, maybe this is where it started, kind of like Bloody Mary. And basically, based on the scratches and the puncture tires and everything that happened, they're thinking maybe it's not really a man, maybe it is a spirit. And the guys are able to figure this stuff out pretty, pretty quickly, it seems like most days. Without too much time to waste, they find some old records. And in 1862, a preacher named Jacob Carnes killed 13 prostitutes. And guess where he did that? Oh yeah, Nine Mile Road. And so since they found that out, there's a nice little pop culture reference we'll get to in a minute. The next scene we see is the um, Reverend is worried about his daughter and her possible drinking and partying ways that she might be picking up from her roommate, who we learned earlier does do pretty much anything pretty much what she said. Lori goes inside, she gets to her, her room, but on the way it looks like there was a scratch on the wall. She goes inside, her roommate appears to be sleeping, she kind of you know, doesn't say anything, she doesn't turn on the light, she sees if she's awake, she doesn't respond. Sam and Dean go out to the bridge to investigate, and this is where Sam first is introduced to the shotgun loaded with rock salt. And we'll talk a little bit more about that rock salt when we get to the folklore mythology, and I believe that's going to be my quote of the week as well. There is something in the woods, and soon we find out he's a police officer, and the guys are arrested. Lori lays down to go to sleep, and they show up a shot of the closet. I honestly didn't see anything in the closet, but I'm like, okay, we're supposed to see something here. Um, maybe I missed it. And then when she wakes up, she sees a pool of blood on the floor that's dripping from her dead friend, and there's a message on the wall that says, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? So we're to think that the killer was in the room with her. Obviously, if it's a spirit, that's a lot easier to do. But that is straight out of the old Hookman urban legend. The guys were released from the Colmett County Sheriff's Office. Dean made up a story about pledges and hazing and rock salt and hunting ghosts, which seemed to work. They got out of there. And the next thing we see are the police are racing away from the station. And they are going to, obviously, the, the sorority house. Sam and Dean arrive on the scene. Lori notices Sam as they drive by. They actually drive a little further down and make their way back around to the back of the crime scene and climb their way inside to investigate. They are able to look around the room. They see the message on the wall, and they say that the smell um, lets them know that a spirit's been there. And then they do see the symbol on the wall, which is kind of like a Celtic cross, um, was what it reminded me of. And so the next idea is to find Jacob Carnes' body, salt, and burn it. But then they learn that he was buried in an unmarked grave, which doesn't help very much. Dean starts to suspect Lori might be involved in what's going on. They go to a party. While they're at the party, they start discussing some of the matters of the case, which is strange. But Sam found out that in 1932, a clergyman murdered some people. In 1967, a seminarian went on a hippie murdering rampage. And so basically, the, these were religious leaders who were preaching against immorality. And then the killings happened. And I think both of them actually claimed it was done by an invisible force with a sharp object, not themselves, but I guess they were blamed for the deaths. And so they think perhaps the Reverend is summoning the spirit. And they mention how poltergeists sometimes haunt people versus places. And it might even be happening without them knowing. 
Sam is going to be toured with the task to watch after Lori Wadine goes to try to find this unmarked grave, which would have to be kind of hard, but he's able to do it pretty soon anyway. Sam goes over to Lori's dad's home and sees them arguing, and while they cut back and forth, Dean is digging up the grave. Lori comes out, talks with Sam. She thinks he's sweet and thanks him for keeping an eye on her. She says she's called the cops and she feels cursed. Dean opens the coffin, salts the body, dashes lighter fluid on it, and then throws down the flame to light it on fire. Lori explains how she was brought up to believe if you do something wrong, you're punished. And she's just learned that her dad is having an affair with a married woman from the church. And she's very confused about everything that's going on and doesn't understand how he could he could have done this, I guess. And she hugs and then kisses Sam, which is interesting. The Reverend calls out to her from inside and tells her to get back inside. Just then, the hook man appears, snatches the Reverend inside with the hook, and then actually takes him upstairs. Sam runs upstairs and shoots it with a rock saw, which enables them to get away. Um, the next thing we see, the Reverend is in the hospital. Sam does tell the cop about what happened, about this guy just appearing out of nowhere with a hook. Dean is allowed to see Sam by, by the cops who are guarding the area. Dean did torch the bones, but they determined that the spirit must be attached to the hook since its personal remains was basically part of its body, and that must be the source of its power. They must find it to stop him. They are able to track down some information from the Iowa State Penitentiary and saying that all the personal effects of this guy were were sent to St. Barnabas' Church, which is where Reverend Sorensen actually preaches. They check out the church records and do find in 1862 that the hook was reforged and it was made into maybe other things, maybe not just one thing, I would assume maybe other things, uh, based on what we see a little bit later on in the episode. And so their plan is to put anything they find in the house, like the parsonage or in the church, and salt and burn it. So Sam goes through the house and he grabs everything he can find that looks silvered. Dean has started a fire with salt and started burning things there in it. They hear something upstairs, see some dust falling from the ceiling, Lori has come into the church to pray. She thinks she's to blame for everything. She's she's thinking maybe this is an avenging angel that somehow she's brought down here. And she thinks she deserves to be punished. And because of that, the hookman appears and tries to punish her. They run around and are able to avoid the spirit. Several occasions, Sam is eventually cut and Lori's drug away. Just as it looks like everything's getting pretty tense, Dean is able to run up and shoot it with rock salt giving them a break for just a little while as the spirit regroups. They determine that it must be the necklace that Lori's wearing is the last piece of silver they're looking for. Sam gets the rock salt gun while Dean grabs the cross and runs back down to the fire. And once the cross is in the fire and starts to heat up, the hook man does start to burn. The hook actually does start to melt and he turns to ash. And that is something we'll see in the future as other things are salted and burned. And then Dean, in the next scene, does tell the cop that they they all saw the hook man, but he says they are leaving town. Lori is thankful for their help because they have saved her life and her dad's life. And they head out of town towards their next adventure. And I do think there at the end we can see that Sam liked Lori. All right, well, that's going to pretty much wrap up the recap. I did want to go ahead and mention, and I don't know that I've done this before. I don't think I have, and I don't know if there were any of these before. But I feel like I should at least mention the fact there were deleted scenes on the DVD for this episode. There were three of them, one of which was basically an alternate take of Lori and and Rich's little date out in the woods. Um, It was a different vehicle, different outfits. Um, Most of the things were fairly similar. 
apart from that, there's a few differences. Um, we also have a different scene with Sam being on the phone trying to check on their dad. And in that, we learned that uh, basically he had a female cop's badge number. And that's where the the reference in the early part of the episode, when Dean called him Francis, that's where that came from. Because Francis, I guess it really could be a man's name. That's not saying that it's not. Um, but in this case, it was a woman's name. <laughs> and then one other scene that was cut out was a short one. Uh, and I guess this is how Lori found out about her dad's affair. Her single dad. I mean, it looks like her mom's probably dead. They don't ever really mention that, I don't think. But her, her single dad wouldn't have use for such things as a minister. You would think she finds a condom wrapper in her father, the reverend's pocket. Which would explain how she would have learned about this affair. All right, well, those were our deleted scenes from this week, and we're going to move on in to our Supernatural 5, where we count down the five most important moments of the show. Supernatural 5, we'll count down the top five pivotal moments of this week's episode. And we're going to start with number five. All right, now my number five this time is going to be old school. I'm going to say my number five moment is 1862. Jacob Karn goes on a murdering spee and is convicted and sentenced to death which starts this whole cycle of the Hookman, the whole urban legend. I believe that is a, a pretty important fact to talk about, and we see that in at least two occasions it was continued by other clergymen in 1932 and 1967. And if you go by Supernatural's version, this would be the Hookman legend that started them all, and so that's pretty, pretty important stuff there. So we're going to say that's number five on our list. Number four, I think we'll... Get, we have to go ahead and give that to the fact that Rich is killed by the Hookman, which grabs Dean and Sam's attention away from looking for their father and draws it to the little sleepy Iowa town where the Hookman was created. And it is funny how, I mean, for the most part, they are in small towns usually. Uh, I know they go back and forth between different places. They don't really visit the same place twice, as we've talked about, I think, in one of the episodes. But... This is definitely one of those small town feels. Even though there's a university in it, this still seems like a very small place that they, they visit here in this particular episode, which would have the urban legend of the Hookman, which is interesting because Toledo, Ohio, definitely seems a little bit larger than this particular location as far as urban legends go. All right, well, number three on my list is going to be that Sam and Dean suspect the Sorensen family is involved with these murders. Uh, they first suspect that it's the Reverend and later on determine that it is the daughter has something to do with the instances of what's happening. And by the end of the episode, we do learn why she has had a silver cross made from the silver hook that Jacob Carnes wore on his missing hand to kill those 19 prostitutes back in the 1860s. And this will bring us back to something I mentioned earlier. I definitely would say that the cross would only have to be part of that silver because that looks to be a very large silver hook and so it had to have been made into other things as well which luckily all were there still at their church so that was a, a good thing for the guys there oh well, actually i had two that were basically very similar and i wasn't sure which to make number one which to make number two i'm going to make number two the fact that they do use rock salt in their shotgun to shoot the spirits to basically slow them down. It won't kill them, as, as Dean said, but it will slow them down. And I think that's pretty important, as we definitely see the use of rock salt and salt in general throughout the show quite often. And the salt is basically a deterrent to the spirits. That's one thing that Sam mentions in this episode, 
And then obviously, I guess that's going to bring me on into my number one point being that. And I do think this is an important one. Dean is able to find the unmarked grave and does salt and burn the body, but it doesn't complete the task. And we learn here that personal effects can also be included into, into the fact they need to be salt and burned. And this is the first official salt and burning that's happened after seven episodes. They've thought about it. They've mentioned it several times, but this is the first one that's actually worked. But not only did they need to burn the body, they needed to find the, the hook and burn it as well, which we you know ended up being the cross. This was missing piece. But we, we see this type of thing later on where if there's not a body available, if it's already been cremated, they do look for other objects connected to the people to try to stop the spirits. And that's definitely an important piece to the puzzle of Supernatural as we move forward in the show, which is why I made it the number one most pivotal moment of the show. So I do try to look at the bigger picture. And honestly, what I said there pretty much covers the whole idea of future spoilers, that those things are important. Don't really have anything to mention specifically, I don't think. Just the fact that they definitely use their rock salt and their shotguns, and they definitely try to salt and burn everything that can be salt and burned as they move forward through... The episodes and then one more random thought here i guess and related to all this i do think it was cool that this was dean and his dad's idea maybe mostly dean's idea to put rock salt in the shotgun and uh, he even makes a comment about how you don't have to go to college to be a genius uh i thought that was pretty good all right well that's going to take us on over into our next segment of the show we'll be right back it's time for the supernatural travelogue All right, well, first up, they are at Eastern Iowa University. Well, according to my research, there is no Eastern Iowa University, but however, there are Eastern Iowa Community Colleges in apparently three places, Clinton, Muscatine, and Scott. The Clinton campus is in Clinton, Iowa. The Scott campus is in Bettendorf, Iowa. And the Muscatine campus is in Muscatine, Iowa. I don't remember ever seeing the actual name of the city mentioned. They do mention the college or the university, and they show that the county name um, we mentioned earlier in our recap was the Calment County, and there is a Calment, Iowa. Um, it's a city in O'Brien County. There's not actually an, a Calment County in Iowa. There was a Calment County in another state, however, Calment County, Wisconsin. And so... Based on my research, you know, that is one of our goals each week um, or each episode to determine whether these locations are real or fiction. And this week they are fiction. Um, and then we also had the mention of the fact that the guys were 100 miles away from Eastern Iowa University, but we don't know exactly where they were. Now, one other mention of the episode was the Iowa State Penitentiary. They never traveled there, but... There is indeed an Iowa State Penitentiary. It is in Lee County, Iowa, near Fort Madison, Iowa. And so at least something they mentioned in this particular place was real and actually was established way back in 1839. And so that part of the story is in line with reality as far as the fact that they were saying that the um, hook man, the real guy, Jacob Carnes, was incarcerated there back in the 1860s, and that could have been true. So... All right, well, that's going to be all for our Supernatural Travelogue for this week. And we're going to be moving over into, I do believe, Supernatural and Pop Culture. Supernatural 
and pop culture. All right, well, this week we did have a few more references than we've had in the last several episodes. The first of which, early on, as Lori was getting prepared for her date, she does mention Martha Stewart, whom I'm sure we most all of us probably are well aware of, as she is the decorating home decor guru, I guess, of her lifestyle uh, magazines and TV shows she's had over the years. She's definitely been a popular television personality, decorator, um, I think even cooking, pretty much any kind of thing that goes with along with the homemaking. She has been able to uh, make money off of pretty much all of it. And uh, so I, I don't think we need to discuss Martha Stewart too much. I think we are pretty familiar with who she is in general. And then also we do have mention of the Invisible Man. Well, there's actually two Invisible Men uh, novels. There's the one written by H.G. Wells, which is probably, I guess, more the more famous of the two, in 1897. And basically, it is a story about a scientist who is able to change his body into such a way that it doesn't reflect light and is made invisible. And basically, his experiment is successful, but he cannot return to visibility, and that destroys his mental state. Um, and there's been several movies and things made of that. But there's also another Invisible Man written later on by Ralph Ellison. And this was written back in 1953. But this is more about the issues that African Americans were facing um, here in America. So not exactly the Invisible Man that we know from H.G. Wells. But still an important Invisible Man to speak of. So I do want to share that as well. Well, that's... Not all we can say about The Invisible Man. There's been movies since years and years ago. There's been remakes. There's been uh, movies with, like, Chevy Chase was in one back in the early 90s. Kevin Bacon had The Hollow Man. Uh, there was a sequel to that. There's been all sorts of versions of that over the years. The Invisible Man was featured in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, you can go on and on and on. It's definitely been one of those popular, iconic things. Uh, there was an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with an invisible teenage girl. There was even an episode of Supernatural with an invisible kid. So there's all sorts of invisibility out there. Um, and, it, and it is an interesting topic to, to think of. All right, well, next up on our list of pop culture references for this week is the Ben Stiller movie Reality Bites. And this is kind of early on in Ben Stiller's career. Back in 1994, he was a 20-something trying to look for love and success after college. And that movie starred him, Winona Ryder, and Ethan Hawke. And it's one of those movies a lot of people kind of look back as kind of a classic. I've never been a huge fan. I've seen it maybe once. I mean, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, I guess you don't. But you can check out Reality Bites if you have not already. I mean, it was just a quick reference, so we don't have to get too involved, I guess. The next reference was after they learned what was going on with the, the gentleman... The, the hook man, they were searching the records. Dean does call Sam Dr. Vinkman. And that, of course, you're probably already thinking, oh, yeah, that was a reference to Peter Vinkman from the Ghostbusters, i.e. Bill Murray, uh, who's always been my favorite Ghostbuster as a kid and still as an adult. Dr. Vinkman, Ph.D., was the comic relief for the most part of that movie. He was the scientist who didn't take it seriously like the other guys. He was the one who got the lady. Just in general, he was he had the 
had the better part of the movie. And speaking of Ghostbusters, they have made the Ghostbusters 2, obviously, that most of you are aware of, I would think. And then, of course, recently, I guess it was like a year or two ago, they did make the Ghostbusters video game for the Xbox and PlayStation and things. They did feature the original voice cast um, of the movies, and they are still in talks to make Ghostbusters 3. Last I keep hearing, though, Bill Murray's kind of a holdout. And I don't know that they'll make the movie without him. I mean, they could, and I'd still watch it, but Bill Murray was my favorite part of the Ghostbusters. And really the reason I like Bill Murray as much as I do um, started with the Ghostbusters. I do enjoy the Groundhog Day. That's probably another one of my favorites. Scrooge is another one of my favorites. I don't know. Bill Murray is a really, really funny guy most of the time. And he does do more dramatic things sometimes. But even the movies like Zombieland, he had a great cameo there. I really enjoyed that. But anyway, Dr. Vinkman, we'll move on from that one. And one more last um, pop culture reference I did want to mention was... Dean once again calls himself something from pop culture. He says he's Matlock by getting them freed from the jail by telling the story about the the hazing and whatnot. And that was the Andy Griffith um, show back in the late 80s, early 90s, where he did play Ben Matlock. And if, if you're not familiar with that particular show, it was basically he was a Southern lawyer who would pretty much always win the case, get people to confess on the stand, kind of typical Perry Mason stuff from years previous. And that that actually ran for several seasons. It started in 86 and ran through 95, and I didn't realize it had ran that long. But that was Andy Griffith's probably most recent success. He's still around, um, but I don't really see him acting as much anymore. Occasionally I'll see a movie or something on Netflix or something like, oh, Andy Griffith isn't that interesting. But anyway... Okay, that's going to wrap up our pop culture section, and we're going to move into the folklore and mythology. This week in folklore and mythology. Well, obviously the biggest thing to talk about in folklore and mythology would be the Hookman. And this is one of those urban legends, or maybe even a scary campfire story you may have heard growing up. And usually it has something to a couple different variations Typically, it's a a young lady, usually a virgin, out on a date with a young man who's taking her to Lover's Lane to fool around. They hear scratching outside, and then on the radio, they hear a report about an insane asylum escapee with a hook for a right hand. Um, So most of the original versions, I think, which is one other thing I remember hearing, was they hear scratching outside the car, and they get scared. So he takes her home, and when they get home, they find the bloody hook on the door handle another variation of that would be something like we saw in the episode here where the young man wants to fool around doesn't want to take her home and so he goes out to investigate after after hearing scratches on the roof of course which leads to her eventually getting out of the car to look for him and those scratches end up being him he's hung from a tree upside down and his hands are scratching the roof of the car and then i guess the third or fourth variation would be the virginal roommate comes home to her dorm and her promiscuous college roommate there is murdered in the night while she sleeps with the message, aren't you glad you didn't turn the lights on? And uh, those are, I guess, kind of the, the main variations of the urban legend, and those were the ones featured and used by the killer in the movie Urban Legend, the original one. At least, you know, because they used different urban legends to, to kill people in that particular movie. And, and granted, the supernatural version is slightly different. It's not a, an insane asylum escapee. It is a, a spirit, and in this one they even had the extra little dose of it almost acts like a poltergeist kind of attaching itself to someone. So that 
does equate to what some of the things happened in this episode as far as um, Lori and how the spirit attached to her and also going back to what happened in the previous years instead of their mythology. So I guess that pretty much wraps up the hook, man. I mean, I'm sure there's probably dozens of different variations. There's, those pretty much cover the main bases, I think. All right, a couple other things I just want to briefly mention. Again, they mentioned Poltergeist, as I just did, not really possessing someone, but haunting a person rather than a place. And we've talked about the noisy ghost before, so I guess we'll, we'll not stick on that too much. Another one of those things they use in the show that we have discussed somewhat here and there, have some people send in some of their thoughts about it. Um, this is definitely the first official salt and burning. We see that it is a deterrent to the spirits with the salt, rock salt and the shotgun. Definitely slows the old hook man down as it will lots of other creepy crawly spirit things in the future. Well, I guess, honestly, that's going to pretty much wrap up the folklore mythology section where the Hookman was our big focus there. And that's going to take us into Driver Picks the Music. Driver Picks the Music. And first up this week was a 80s classic, if you will. And that was Quiet Riot's Bang Your Head. And this is another one of those songs I knew as a young child growing up, mostly because of my older brother. This was on the Quiet Riot CD Mental Health. And that's actually the name of the song. It is sometimes listed as Mental Health Bang Your Head in parentheses, or just Bang Your Head, but Mental Health is actually the official name of the song. And this was by the American heavy metal band Quiet Riot. Originally debuted back in 1982, a young, young lad. It's been used in all sorts of movies and video games. It was in the recent Footlo- Footloose reboot. It's been in you know stuff like Guitar Hero. It's been it's been used by professional wrestlers. It was in the the Vin Diesel movie Babylon A.D. Weird Al did a spoof of the song back in the day called Hooked on Polkas. It's definitely been one of those popular songs. As far as success goes, it was a, in the top 40 hit for Quiet Riot, which is pretty good. And I probably would have to say this is their most popular song. And I guess that's going to be all for this particular one. Alright, the next song I'm going to talk about is Peace of Mind by Boston. And this was from their original self-titled release back in 1976, which is in line with what we talk about usually here on these songs. And it actually got into the top 40 um, for them as well. And the song really is about materialism and the baby boom generation, apparently. But it's... Another one of those songs has been around, you know, like I said, since the mid-70s. It's been featured in video games, and other people have covered it. Uh, people like Striper. Boston is another one of those bands. I would think that throughout the usage of the show, they would probably have a lot of Boston songs. I don't know that for, for sure. I can't tell you how many, but they're, I don't know, I kind of think of Boston and Journey and Kansas, all these bands kind of in a similar vein, just a little bit, at least in my head. And so this definitely fits into that supernatural music that we've come to know and love, probably. And there are some other songs. Like I said, I have the um, official companion here. And there's several songs here that I did not recognize during the episode. And I think some of these are more the instrumental. There's one called Merry Go Round by Split Habit. There's one called Noise by Low Five. At Rest by APM. Royal Bethlehem by APM. You Do To Me, original mix by Paul Richards. And I looked up, tried to look up a couple of those to see more information about them, and 
there's not a lot out there. So I'm thinking a lot of those are more the background type music, which I really did notice a little bit more in this episode. One of those songs that they were playing as the guys were kind of sneaking around here and there is on the Supernatural soundtrack that I picked up from Amazon and is featured as one of our segment songs. I'm not, I can't remember which one right now, but I do have that featured here in the podcast every week. But yeah, I guess we're going to move on from here and we're going to jump into our little bit of Supernatural feedback and then we're going to have our Dean Quote of the Week, which we do after our little information of how you can get in contact with us to kind of wrap out the show. And so stick around. We'll be right back. Supernatural Cast Feedback. All right. Well, over on the Facebook, we had a few interactions here the last little while. And since the last episode was posted, we had a couple people like the fact that that one was posted. And that was Shannon and Dwayne over there on Facebook. So thanks again, guys, for that. And then over on Twitter, we do have a few people who seem to have send out a follow Friday for us every week and we are grateful for that so thanks guys for that just want to mention you once more here I heart Jensen A my SPN site DK and then there was a couple different ones this week actually I am K Gruber 4 and Ajita SPN so thanks for all of those this week I do definitely appreciate that and also I think since the last episode was posted CB underscore baby 10 underscore 4 said at Supernatural Cast. Excellent. It'll be great for listening Monday at work. So thanks everyone who has interacted with us over on Facebook or Twitter. Didn't have any emails or voicemails to get into this week, so I guess that's pretty much going to wrap us up for our slight little feedback section. So we're going to just go ahead and get into our contact information here so you can be a part of the next episode. And you can contact us in all sorts of different ways. You can visit our website, SupernaturalCast.com, and it has all this information listed there. Or you can go over to the Facebook.com, Facebook page. Um, we're on Google+. We Either one of those, you pretty much just need to search for Supernatural Cast, and you can find us pretty easily, I believe. Over on Twitter, as we try to explain each week, we are Supernatural Cast. It's Supernatural without the L, due to the limitations of how many characters you can have there on Twitter. Um, you can find us in iTunes. Or we do have the RSS feed there on our website. If, if you need to subscribe in some other way, because that's still possible as well. And apart from those things, you can also email us at mail at supernaturalcast.com. That's mail at supernaturalcast.com. And you can also call in and leave a voicemail for us, and that's at 203-74-SUPER. That's 203-747-8737. So we'd love to hear from you, whether it be a tweet, a Facebook message, uh, email, voicemail, whatever it could be. We'd definitely have to have your thoughts included for the next episode as we discuss Bugs, episode number 8 of Supernatural Season 1. So, hope to hear from you for our next episode. And we're going to wrap up our little show here with the Dean Quote of the Week. And so, that'll be all for this time around. From the Supernatural cast, I'm Jimmy and Georgia. Peace. It's time for the Dean Quote of the Week. If it is a spirit, Buckshot won't do much good. Yeah, rock salt. <laughs> salt being a spirit deterrent. Yeah. It won't kill him, but it'll slow him down. That's pretty good. You and Dad think of this? I told you. You don't have to be a college graduate to be a genius. 
You got to read between. 